a mother was putting her young son to bed on the eve of his fifth birthday. She was trying to get him to understand that tomorrow things will be different. So she asked him, how, how old are you? How many fingers are you tonight? And he, he went four. Took about half a year to get that right. And she said, well, you'll go to bed tonight at four, but tomorrow, and she took his thumb and opened it up, tomorrow you're going to be five. And he looked at her and looked at his hand and looked at her and said, tomorrow I'm going to be a handful. Today we celebrate Mother's Day, and uh, how many of us, it's a day for all of us who were handfuls to be grateful. How many of us were handfuls? You know, God is watching, he knows. <laughs> to be grateful for all those who put up with handfuls. How many of those? <laughs> Uh, and to be appreciated and celebrated for putting up with us handfuls. The truth is, we are all handfuls. We are all handfuls. And that's not just because Pastor Jerry says it, it's because actually God's word says we are all handfuls. And in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 3, he writes, for all of us, have sinned. It means to miss the mark, to, to, to miss the target of, of what we would like ourselves to be, let alone what God would like us to be. We all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And as the Bible says that, and that is true, and if you have a question about that, turn to the person next to you and ask if you are perfect, and uh, they might help you with that. But the Bible also says that even though we sin and fall short of the glory of God, that God so loved us, so loved us, that he sent his only son into the world to give his life on behalf of our failings, our brokenness, our sins. Jesus came to love us, to model out what it's like to live as a child of God, that we would reflect the character of God to die for us, that we would be forgiven. This spring and summer, uh, all the way through to August, we're looking at the gospel according to Matthew, and we, we kind of have as our overarching theme, um, come and see and go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to come and see, and it's based in the gospel according to Matthew that when the women on Easter morning, that morning of the resurrection, they went to the tomb, not, not understanding how in the world they're going to roll the stone away. They saw it was rolled away, and there was an angel, and there was an invitation by the angel to say, come and see where they laid him, and see that he's no longer here. Examine, and then go and tell the others what you have discovered. And that's what we're going to do. 
we're going to each Sunday invite you to come and see, according to Matthew, the text collector, the disciple of Jesus, come and see what he says about Jesus, what he experiences in Jesus, and then we want you to go and tell what you saw. And so I, I uh, what did you see last week with Pastor Mike? What did you see that you had to go and tell someone else? My, my, my takeaway was this picture that he had of the nativity scene. And, and I, I have preached on that for some 40 years of ministry. But Mike opened my eyes to the idea that, that this is the creation in a little bit of a different light. All elements of God's creation is there also, as it is in Genesis, is also in this nativity scene. You have a, a, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and, and uh, one represents humanity, Mary, and one represents the, the chosen people of God, the Jews, in, in, in Joseph. You, you have the animals that were created in the beginning, you have the star representing the cosmos. You have angels representing heaven. You have shepherds representing the lowest of the low in the culture of the country of the day. And then you had strangers from another land, the magi come. And, and, and here you have Jesus, who the Bible tells us spoke creation into being, now in Creation speaking to creation out of creation. It, it is a unique picture, and I had to tell a couple of folks I had not seen that. Well, this morning, we're going to look at, um, we're invited in to see what it looks like to live in and resemble the kingdom of God. What it looks like to represent the kingdom of God. I want to take you, uh, give you a moment. I want you to get your bearings. I want you to think, where is true north? Where is true north? I'm going to ask you in just a second to point to true north. You ready? This is, this is a test. On three, one, two, three, where's true north? That away. Some of you are going that away. Some of you are going this away. Well, Here's a compass. If I were to put the compass here, it tells me that true north is right that way. And, uh, but it took a compass that is designed to point the direction to give us direction. In the same way, in the same way, Jesus has come to point us in the direction of how we are to live our lives to re in this world to resemble, to look like the kingdom of God to those around us, to point us in the right direction. Now, scriptures would say that this is Jesus' longest sermon that we're going to look at. And... Uh, I don't know about, about how, how long it really was with some pregnant pauses. 
It, it could have been, you could read it through in about 25 minutes, the three chapters of uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But with teaching moments and pregnant pauses, it could have gone 30 minutes, it could have gone an hour, it could have gone hours. Now, if we were going to do this right, um, I would have you all stand and, and I would get to sit because... We are told in Matthew, next slide, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, he opened his mouth, and he taught them. So if you guys wouldn't mind standing for the next half hour or so, that would be really, I appreciate it. It might keep some of you awake, but anyway, that's another story. But that's the way that this message was given. That's the way that rabbis taught in the day. Before we hear what uh, direction Jesus would have us live, let's take a moment and uh, pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come and we want to be kingdom people. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would point us in the right direction. We thank you for... Jesus' words, and may those words come alive and ring true in our hearts. May our feet be obedient to follow how you would have us live. If there would be anything that would hinder us hearing you, I pray that you remove it. For we've come to see Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, to leave here more like Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This part of Jesus' message, this beginning part, is called the Beatitudes. And uh, many of you learned in Sunday school, that's the, the attitude that you should be, is the following, uh, what is going to be, be read. But uh, we learn it's the Beatitudes because when the scriptures were translated into Latin, it, it was that the term was... Um, Something like um, be, uh, be 80 sutin, which my Latin teacher would be struggling with me right now because I mispronounced it all that start blessed are. But Jesus, it says he goes up to a mountain and when he sat down, he begins to teach. Now, this should take you back to the Old Testament. Jesus is going to give us uh, kind of rules, guidelines for how we live our lives. That was done many, many years ago in the Old Testament when another went up a mountain to get the law of God to how the Jewish nation was to live their lives. Moses went up the mountain to get the rule of God. Jesus comes up the side of a mountain to give us the directions on how we might live our lives. Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. Jesus is going to give us the eight Beatitudes, the eight blessed are. And this idea is that blessed does not mean if you have a, a translation a modern translation of the Bible, they translate that happy. Blessed is not 
the same happy that you and I would assume. Happy are they that do this, like you skip along. But this happiness, this blessedness, is experiencing the holy, H-O-L-Y, holy, wholeness, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S, wholeness of God, that there's an inner peace and an inner joy because we live the character of our creator. And so when you live the character of your creator, you there's an inner sense of peace and joy that comes. And Jesus is saying, we are we, the desires that you would live this way and experience this inner peace and joy as you live your life according to the Beatitudes. And that you would, in doing that, would know God's smile. Now, the Beatitudes are not helpful hints by Jesus for a happy life. The Beatitudes show us the mind of God, the heart of Jesus, and the direction that we are to live at his, as his people in this world. And so, Matthew, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, um, his disciples came to him, he opened his mouth, and he was saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he starts out with this one, and what is interesting about this, if you get this one right, you get the rest. If you get what it means to be poor in spirit, you get the rest. In the same way, with the Ten Commandments, if you get the first one, you'll get all the rest. The first one is, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other God. You should not worship. There will be nothing above me. I am sovereign. I am God, and you are not. And that sets the tone. Once we get that right, that we're not God, then we get how we live our lives. Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, once you get about the kingdom of God. Once you get blessed are the poor in spirit. But theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be um, poor in spirit? This poor is not an economic poverty. But being poor in spirit means that you are dependent on God for everything. You could translate this beatitude. Someone has this. Blessed are those who have to rely on God for every breath they take. This beatitude says that we totally rely on God. And if you do, if I do, then the kingdom of heaven is yours. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Now, to totally rely upon God, you have to be poor in spirit. Now, doesn't that seem backwards? Doesn't it seem like to rely on God, you'd have to be rich in spirit? You'd have to be full of spirit. You'd have to be powerful in spirit 
to rely on God, but that's not what Jesus says. The word poor here means it, to couch or cower. Somebody used the term, it means to be beggarly. It means to be so humbled that you can't even look up, but that you will rely on someone else providing what you need because you can't do it. To be poor in spirit means to be humble and to rely on someone else for what you can't get. I need another. Now, I also want you to notice the tense of the verb. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize their brokenness and their need for another, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's present, active, indicative. And for all of us who are not English majors, that means you count on it right now. Soon as you get to the point, soon as I get to the point of being poor in spirit, of saying, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Once you come to that realization, yours is, according to Jesus, you experience the kingdom of heaven. So how do you experience heaven? Is to acknowledge that we have nothing on our own. Acknowledge that I have blown it and I have nothing on my own. Now, a couple years ago, we, we had this great mission outpost in El Salvador that we support, but we, we with one other church, provide a doctor and food for a a whole community of people that wouldn't have that. And we went to El Salvador, and, and the question to ask an El Salvadorian is uh, for them to get a perspective on, on uh, heaven is, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Now, before we think that's only a, a um, question for those in Central America, it's also the question that... Um, this church used to ask when they rang doorbells in this community when it was first here through evangelism explosion. That was the question. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Now, if I were to ask you, how would you answer that question? Like the folks in El Salvador who said what most of us, I think, would answer, well, I try to be good. I try to do the right thing. And we would tick off, name off, all those wonderful things that we have done that we're so proud of with God. Aren't you lucky to have me? Because look at all the great things I do for you. And I am not like them, whoever them comes to mind. 
I don't do it. They do. And in the pecking order of the kingdom of God, I at least am better than them. So if, if, if them have a chance, then I know I'm okay. And, and, and we get into this. We say, we judge ourselves on what we do. That we're better than others. And all of us, with one happy chorus, would sing Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. And we're satisfied with that. Until we see what Jesus says. And none of us measure up. In fact, the Old Testament would say, your best day, doing your best, most awesome deal for God are like dirty rags because he's holy and we are not. That no matter how good you are, no matter how good I am, good is never enough. The only way Jesus says you're going to make it is if you're poor in spirit The only way you're going to taste heaven is to say, I can't get there on my own. I can't love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Love my enemy? Are you kidding? They're my enemy. I can't love them. I can't do it. Keep my word. Have pure thoughts. Keep my promises. I can't do it. Jesus is saying the only way for you to taste heaven is to agree. That no matter how good you think you are, you can't do it. You can't get there. And when you get to the point of being a beggar, of saying, you're right, Lord, I can't. I've tried, but I can't. And I'm ready to say, I need help. And then you experience what I heard on the radio this morning. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God who loves us not because we can, but loves us because we can't. And loves us when we acknowledge we can't. When we're honest with ourselves and say we can't. Why is this one beatitude so important? I mean, look, look at the others. As we go through, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that almost 
75% of them are future realities. We won't experience them necessarily right now. It's like being a parent, isn't it? You mourn and there's not always immediate comfort or meekness, which means you surrender your power and there's not an inheritance necessarily in hunger and thirst. So why now? Because the others are promises in the future, but in this first beatitude, the reward now, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven right now. If you want to taste heaven, you just need to say, I'm not worthy, and I trust in you, Father. And my friends, that is good news. Because when we're honest, really honest, when we take the facade away, we do blow it. The Beatitudes are not a laundry list. Next slide. They're just not a laundry list. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Next slide. It's not like a horoscope where you look in the paper and look up which one you are because of your birth. And you could sit here, many people go, well, I, I may be a mourner, but I, I'm not merciful, and, and I, I got to work on that. Or, or I may be a merciful, but I'm not pure in heart, and I'm not a peacemaker. And, and sometimes we, we take them and, and we, we pick and choose, but that's not Jesus' teaching. You see, if we get the first one right, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who can't do these things. We will experience heaven that will allow us to live out the others. Once you say, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. You can mourn with others. You can be merciful with others. You can be persecuted for whatever because it's no longer about you. It's no longer about me. So the invitation that Jesus has for us this morning is come and see. Come and see how you walk toward the kingdom of God. The first step is to say, I can't do it, and I need the Lord. And if you take that step, you just watch what happens. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the direction that Jesus gives us, the direction of our lives that would model out your character and his heart. And I would pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who is here because they think they've done it their way and you're here to give them a pat on the back for how wonderful they are. Lord, open their eyes to how much they fall short and need you. 
And may not one of us leave here today without knowing our need for you and taking those steps to revealing your character and your heart to the world. Lord, we have come and we have seen the direction. Now may we go and live it and tell others. In Jesus' name, amen.